0: Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm
1: Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Rift Wake podcast. I'm Mitch, a D&D enthusiast and also a player on the Rift Wake podcast.
0: And today's topic is difficulty class,
1: better known as DC.
0: Mitch, what is a DC in reference to Dungeons and Dragons?
1: Uh, whether you can do something awesome or not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a pretty fair summary. So anytime that you take any type of action in Dungeons and Dragons, then it is typically going to be a d20 roll plus some ability to determine whether or not you're able to succeed or fail on that task. So with that in mind, are there typical dcs where does a dc actually come from for a game in play from the dm yeah this is true but where does a dm get this number from usually
1: (laughs) how confident the dm are we talking
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay let's use the classic two examples where would i and where would nathan
1: uh, you would probably know it from a manual. Uh, Nathan would probably pull it from his ass, and those
0: are the two correct answers. So, much like many things in Dungeons and Dragons, it is very much true that a dungeon master has choices in how they set the difficulty for various situations that might come up during a game. So, in any situation really it is up to the dungeon master to decide how hard should this thing be so you mentioned you know basically that i would have some kind of plan for how hard something should be or that i would reference a manual so how much do you think is actually written on the topic of just in the actual written books how hard various things
1: are uh based on current trends since i started working on the show with you Two
0: paragraphs. (laughs) Oh, you are so close. Three. But Ah. honestly, though, by uh, Price is Right rules, you'd have probably won.
1: (laughs) Shit, I was about to say that same thing.
0: (laughs) Uh, It really just doesn't have a whole lot. And yeah, this is something that like as far back as the basic rules, even before like all the published books were out, this was something that was in there. And just... Ability checks is, like, actually, an argument could be made that it's only one actual paragraph. But anyway, an ability check tests a character's or monster's innate talent and training in effort to overcome a challenge. The DM calls for an ability check when a character or monster attempts an action other than an attack that has a chance of failure. When the outcome is uncertain, the dice determine the results. For every ability check, the DM decides which of the six abilities is relevant to the task at hand and the difficulty of the task, represented by a difficulty class. The more difficult a task, the higher its DC. Typical classes are shown in the table below. So, there is a chart with only six things to summarize the totality of difficulty classes. And that goes from very easy easy medium and then onwards to hard very hard and im and nearly impossible and the numbers for that very easy dc of five easy 10 medium 15 hard 20 very hard 25 and nearly impossible 30. and then there is That third paragraph after the chart, which is to make an ability check, roll a d20 and add the relevant ability modifier. As with other d20 rolls, apply bonuses and penalties and compare the total to the DC. If the total equals or exceeds the DC, the ability check is a success. The creature overcomes the challenge at hand. Otherwise, it's a failure, which means the character or monster makes no progress toward the objective, or makes progress combined with a setback determined by the DM. So that's it. There is one little chart here with just six categories from very easy to nearly impossible. So I am curious because I know that you, Mitch, do have some better understanding of the math of d So do you realize the implications of the math of the chart going from DC five up to 30.
1: Uh, well, a 30, even if you, well, it depends on how you consider rolling a nat 20 on mm-hmm. checks like that. Sometimes it's, you know, some guys go, it's automatic success. Yeah, sometimes they don't. You know, I, I forget the standard rule. Uh, so the
0: rules as written that is not the case.
1: There's yeah. the critical
0: hit in combat when you roll a 20, but ability checks do not have critical successes or failures by rules as written.
1: Yeah. So if you wind up uh, against a DC 30 and that's the way you guys are doing it, unless you got proficiency on something where you're, you know, say plus 13 to persuasion, you know, Mm -hmm. you will not pass no matter what. Correct. And it's something that I actually appreciate
0: because a lot of the time, it actually irks me quite a lot how easy a lot of checks are because many, many things, if the DC is 20 or less, that would mean that anyone has a 1 in 20 chance of potentially doing the thing, which is ridiculous to me, but that's also because I am a more logical Dungeon Master than is average. But it is just kind of interesting to think about. So, like, okay, one example. Just, like, having manacles on, like, actual, like, iron manacles, has a break DC of 20. So it just takes a 20 DC strength check to break them. So if you think about it, if you have a character who's proficient in athletics... And you then have that person wearing manacles. Okay, so even if you have a low level, but very strong character, like let's say they're level one. Okay, let's say they've got just a 16 strength, which is good, but not exceptionally good, you know, for a PC. So that would be plus three for that 16 strength. And then a proficiency bonus of plus two if we say they're proficient in athletics. So that would mean they would have a plus five to that athletics check. That would mean they have a 75% chance of failure, but a 25% chance of breaking those manacles on their first try. That, That seems kind of bullshit, that a level one character is already strong enough to just shatter it one out of four times. That seems rather easy.
1: Well, a case like that, you know, you could narratively write it off as like they were defective, you know, quality, you know.
0: Except it's not, though. This is by rules as written. It's a DC of 20. And if they're getting that DC of 20, I mean, that's not about defective manacles. If you actually had defective manacles, that would maybe be like a DC 15 then, because it would be a less difficult than standard check. Which alone could actually be kind of fun if that's something you're trying to make happen. That, okay, yeah, this is, you know, a poor village, so they only have, like, you know, rusty manacles that will be a little easier to shatter. That that, could very well be a thing.
1: That would be kind of like, it's like, oh, yeah, the the wizard who can barely pick up the book that he reads all day breaks out because they rolled a 20, you know? Exactly.
0: It's kind of ridiculous, but... That's one thing that I like, though, is that this does describe the typical difficulty class in order for certain things to happen. It is always within a DM's prerogative to decide how they want things to work in their world. So for me in particular, so like I'm going to, well, actually, I probably shouldn't stick with the maniples example, because I do want to talk about that as its own episode at some point. Uh, The bondage one. (laughs) <laughs> that's bondage one uh all right fine let's see it's huh, actually kind of interesting so just for curiosity i did just pull up the rope of climbing because that is the bondage one but the, it's interesting though that actually doesn't seem to have a break dc it has an ac and hit points but it does not actually have a break dc which honestly is something that can make sense because having a break DC for magic items is something that might be a tad on the silly side. Because if you think about it to break a magic item rope with just pure physical strength
1: feels like something that maybe should not be. So you're telling me there's no shady discount magic items warehouse where they're just like <laughs> some apprentice who dropped out of Mage College, just pumping out shoddy, like magical ropes left and right.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I stand like, corrected. Like the Walmart of magic items or something like that.
0: I mean, hey, Walmart actually has products that are not shit.
1: Yeah. I, I just couldn't think of another store people complain about. Yeah. Huh, that would actually be kind of a funny campaign though if you just
0: made like a magic item Walmart where they're just able to undercut prices through mysterious means. And the the mysterious means just (laughs) shoddy (laughs) quality. Okay, I was going to say slave labor, but okay. Oh, yeah, well that too. Uh, Anyway, but honestly that might be kind of interesting uh, story to tell, but not
1: relevant so much for right now. This health potion said it'll do 2d4. I only got 1d4 plus 4. Plus 4? I don't know. It's okay. defective.
0: I would actually be interested in a push that was 1d4 plus 4. Normally, it's 2d4 plus 2. Having yeah. more guaranteed static, healing
1: ain't so bad. Anyway. I didn't know the stats off the top of my head, All right.
0: Well, I'm me. That's what I goddamn do. Hey, be impressed I <laughs> need 2d4. You're right. You're right. That is... That is very good, Mitch. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so yeah. So if you did have a rope of climbing, you would be able to use that for bondage without having to worry about it breaking accidentally. It would have to be cut in order to uh, release yourself or your partner. Or both. I'm not going to judge. Anyway, so just because I am curious, do you know if there are... What is the magic item that actually does have the highest DC related to it? Not a clue.
1: All right. Have you ever heard of something called the immovable rod? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is that? Uh, 3,000 pounds or something that holds
0: 8,000? Yeah. Yeah. The rope of climbing is 3,000. So that's probably the one you were looking at earlier. But yeah. yeah so am I'm just rod. This off the top of my head. Yeah. You're doing good. So the rod can hold up to 8,000 pounds of weight and can basically only get moved like against your will by just yanking on the damn thing with a DC 30 strength check, which is, by the book, literally the highest written difficulty check anywhere in 5th edition D&D, which is also kind of funny to me considering that it is an uncommon magic item, and yet it has... Quite literally, the highest DC in the game is for the immovable rod.
1: Well, it is also probably one of the most useful fucking items as far as I'm concerned. Oh, man. It really is a fun and underappreciated magic
0: item. Honestly, that's another one that we might want to just do a full episode about at some point in the future. Just because the movable rods can get silly in the best ways. Ah, man. It's such a fun item. But yeah. Anyway, point though it is a dc 30 which like you were implying earlier is really fucking hard so like even by the book it calls it nearly impossible but that would mean that at a minimum that would require a creature with a 10 in that skill to be able to actually do that to actually be able to move it with a 10 skill like in uh, athletics you would need to roll a crit When you are that good. So anyone with less than 10 has literally zero chance of successfully moving an immovable rod, which is really interesting to think about. So if you discount expertise, that would mean that you would need someone with a 20 strength and a plus 5 proficiency bonus? So yeah, that eliminates a rather large percentage of uh, the entire population of most D&D worlds.
1: And if they succeed, they get a plus to their next intimidation bonus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would be intimidated. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, the ability to move in a movable rod at all is definitely quite something. That would just, yeah, to actually do succeed on that DC-30. But uh yeah, so I just did look up real quick the level at which a fighter's proficiency bonus is plus five. So that would mean they would have to be at least level thirteen if they had a twenty strength. And if they don't have a twenty strength, like even if they just have like a gauntlets of ogre power, like something to get like a nineteen strength, or if they just have less than twenty naturally, then it's only when someone got to seventeenth level with that plus six proficiency bonus that they would have a chance of being able to move that immovable rod which is still a funny sentence to say but yeah i got
1: your immovable rod right here it's just really really hard
0: now there is something that is worth uh clarifying when i am talking about difficulty though which is the fact that in that the three paragraphs that we read through earlier It's when the outcome is uncertain, the dice determine the results. So this is something that I do mention here and there across various episodes, but it definitely does bear repeating here. If there is not a time constraint, if there is not something that is in their way, players are going to be able to get through most things if there is enough time. So like if there is a door, they will smash it if there's enough time. If there is a wall that needs to get climbed over, they're probably going to get it eventually. It's just how loud are they going to be and how quick are they able to? So you don't need to request a roll for every single situation that occurs. It is only when it is a chance of failure, when the outcome is uncertain that you might need to do a roll. So there actually is a little bit more in the Dungeon Master's Guide talking about a variant rule for automatic successes because there are times where the individuals should succeed because we've listed out the various tiers of difficulty, but the thing to also consider is Just because someone might frequently roll well doesn't mean that they might not occasionally roll badly. And it is very much worth consideration whether you want to make use of the rules of there are going to be times where just like dice are not cooperating with the player, but the character you know would be able to do the thing because that's their shtick. Like if you just have a player with particularly bad luck and you know that like they're just like you let them roll twice to try to you know pick a lock but they just are not having luck of just getting the difficulty well it's worth consideration as a dm to just say like okay like it might take you a while but we like you know and i know that your character does have this ability so there was another phrase that was often used for this type of system back in older editions of D&D, which was either to take 10, take 15, or take 20. Mitch, have you ever heard of that? Nope. Heard of take five, but that's unrelated. (laughs) It is, it is. So the idea is that most professionals in whatever is their profession like are good enough at their specialty that you can assume that they're always going to do at least average for their capability. So in terms of a G20, that is referred to as taking 10, where you just automatically would just assume like, yeah, they're probably just going to get a 10 at least on average. And then we just kind of assume there. So, like, you assume that a craftsman is not going to just totally fuck up the thing that he's making, you know, one out of 20 times. Like, that's silly from the logic perspective. So you just assume that, okay, yeah, this artisan is, like, you have a smith who's proficient in smith's tools. He's pretty strong. He's good at what he does. Like, he's not going to just, like, fuck up a handful of, you know, the weapons that he's making, you know, just every you know month that he's working. That's just that wouldn't happen in a logical world. So this system is meant to kind of give some more reasonable numbers to that situation where you just assume that, okay, so let's say that normally he would have like a plus five on his smithing check. So you just assume that just everything he makes is, you know, would succeed with a DC of 15. That any object that he might make that has a DC of 15, he will succeed at because he's a Smith and that's what he does. Like it it's it is just introducing logic into a D&D world, which is something that some dungeon masters may not want to do. A lot of dungeon masters do like the chaos of making everything be dice rolls, and a lot of players just like having everything be dice rolls. So this is something that you have the option of, because again, this is a variant rule, but it is something that I would say is worth consideration just to potentially be something that might be a reasonable thing to introduce in your world. To just have the idea that, okay, yeah, like they're they're probably gonna, so if there's not a time constraint, because again, that is the important line to just assume that, okay, yeah, if they have you know, a plus 10 to lock picking, then yeah, they're probably going to pick that lock sooner or later. It might take them a couple of tries, but they're going to do it. So to simply assume that, okay, yeah, that once you do have, you know, a really good ability score or just a really good proficiency or expertise in a skill, it is worth consideration. I am curious though, Mitch, can you think of any potential downsides to
1: making use of that? Nah, not really. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) I mean, yeah, every once in a while you will fuck up. I mean, I'm I'm a trained chef and I fucking burnt rice the other day. Like, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: But is it going to be one in 20?
1: (laughs) No, no. I usually set an alarm. (laughs) Yeah. But,
0: you know, rarely shit does happen. But again, though, cooking food could also be argued to be one of those things that is time sensitive because it is something that does have a lot of import on doing things at the correct time but anyway yeah it's just an interesting thing to think about like if you do try introducing logic into D, it gets much more difficult very very quickly because again D is typically a rather magical world so there are going to be a lot of things that don't line up with logic Like just the fact that a barbarian can just smash through a two inch thick wooden door and the door will shatter into splinters, but they're fine. Like they don't even have a scratch on them. Like That's just not how logic works, but that is how D&D works. And that's okay. So I'm, I'm also curious, Mitch, do you think that there's any kind of like chart anywhere that might offer... Some potential options like to give you an idea of how difficult various things might be,
1: like an official one, or yeah, I would hope there's one in like the DM guide.
0: I would have really liked if
1: there was one too, but at least as far as I can tell, there
0: isn't, which is troublesome. Like, the closest one is that when you're talking about uh objects and just the destruction of objects there is an ever so small chart that mentions how many hit points various things have but there is no goddamn chart that is easily accessible that i've been able to find like in any of the official dnd books like there are of course third party ones that actually says like this is the dc to smash down a door This is the DC for, you know, the most common types of locks that might exist in the world. You know, this is, you know, the DC to seduce someone who is at, you know, this stage of like or dislike fifth edition doesn't seem to actually have any of that, which is disappointing. But again, the thing that it does have though, is that chart of difficulty class with very easy to impossible. And As much as I really do wish that there were more charts with more specific examples, like even I find it hard to argue against the given information because honestly, it it is good enough. Like I would like more, but it is good enough. So having it just be that five to 30 scale. Okay. A DM can just pull out one of those numbers out of their ass to just define any situation like if you do have you know a bard who is trying to just seduce everyone that they come across then yeah you can do to figure okay yeah you know maybe this is going to be an easy seduction for them or maybe this is going to be a very hard seduction for them in which case it is going to be you know that 25 dc versus the 10 of an easy like you can apply this to any situation so just for funsies i want to try a little game so mitch i want you to just throw out D situations and i'm just gonna try to just within just a couple of seconds give each of the things you throw at me a dc uh
1: diving out of the way of a dragon barreling at you
0: okay that's not typically how uh D combat action economy works but fine
1: this is a skill check challenge
0: <laughs> okay all right good <laughs> well done Mitch pat on the head for that one okay so sure so in that case you're trying to dodge out of the way of the dragon so that could be called an acrobatics check and this is a rather large dragon I would assume so let's say that that would be a hard thing to dodge out of the way to avoid any injury so let's say that that would be a
1: dc 20 not bad yeah it seems fair
0: although i'll be honest if you are running a skill check challenge i generally suggest to have just a set dc for most of the entire challenge because if you do go with the variation version of yeah, there's more relevant skills to the situation and less relevant skills that have different DCs. You can do that, but boy, does that get harder to manage. So if you are running skill check challenges, which I do suggest, and also can just listen to our episode on that for more information, then yeah, just having a set DC makes sense. So whether that is, you know, a 15 DC to just for the blanket challenge or 20 if it is, a very dangerous one that works anyway next
1: uh hmm Bailing out of an out-of-control carriage (laughs) and he gotta land safely
0: okay so adventurers do tend to be rather hardy folk so honestly i would say that that would only be a medium difficulty for adventurers so that would just be a 15 dc then for them to just you know roll out of that carriage and manage to stay safe
1: seems good Hmm. Trying to think of something else. that's not just straight up ripping off another podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically both of those are from some podcast or another so far.
0: All right. Well, yeah. So let's just go with one more and then we'll move on.
1: Hmm. Trying to prepare a meal for a culinary competition.
0: Ooh. Okay. So it's a competition. So how upscale a competition are we saying here?
1: For the greatest chef in the kingdom. Ooh.
0: All right. So in that case, let's even go with very hard for this.
1: With, because... with Gorgon Ramsey as the judge.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Good job. Uh, but yeah, I would say very hard for that. Because what I really like about going up to the very hard difficulty is because that is 25, that automatically means that if any character has less than plus five, then it is completely out of their reach. So if you are saying then that this is a contest for the best of the best, then yeah, you would need to just eliminate everyone who is just out of that range. So then that would mean that only those who do have you know, plus five and proficiency in, you know, culinary, uh, tools, uh, cooks utensils, rather. Like you would need to have that to even be a contender in such a competition. So with all of that being said, does a DM have to stick to this chart precisely as written? No, no. So can you think of, any just situation or example where you might want to just vary those numbers or situation a bit.
1: Well, uh, I, I know there's some things that I, I know D and D's game fantasy, some shit you still just can't do. Like you can't one shot a dragon or whatever. And I, I've heard people try to do that and stuff. It's like, no, the DC is 50 on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you somehow managed to get a plus 32, your athletics check to punch a track and crit uh yeah honestly that would make that that definitely does check out because again even that 30 dc is nearly impossible because if you do have a high level character with good stat with expertise like you can get you know plus 13 plus 15 in a skill like you can do that it is absolutely possible so even then that 30 is still attainable like it even is quite possible for you know truly high level characters but it is flat out impossible for you know lower level adventurers and just most commoners and just people out and about in the world but even besides just whether you want to go put like higher on the chart You also can just have more numbers in the middle because a lot of magic items, for example, like are made to have like a DC of 13 for the effect that they trigger. So you might have things that have like 13, 15, 17, 19. There's a lot of things that do have a difficulty in between, you know, the five and the 30. You don't have to precisely align with this chart you can just use this chart as a guide and to just use it to say okay so if i want something to be you know a little bit easy but not quite so easy then okay yeah so you want it to be more than 10 but still less than 15 so yeah you know you just assign that a dc of 13 and then that's that's that you're fine Or if you do want to assign something that is particularly difficult, then yeah, maybe you say that, okay, I don't want to make it a 20 because I don't want there to be just the chance of just any random schmuck rolling a crit. But maybe you'll say like, okay, so if I just give that a 22, then that means that you must have at least plus two. So you must have some predisposition to the thing to have a chance of success. So using this chart just as a guideline is A-OK, and it is enough. Like, as much as I personally do have my bias for more charts, wanting more specific examples and details, just making use of the classic difficulty classes chart is enough to assign an appropriate difficulty for any situation that might come up in a 5th edition D&D game. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us 5 stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash to your start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast. On Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash riffwake podcast, and you can send us an email, riffs at gmail.com. That's riffs and d rules at gmail.com.